Welcome to the Mary Shannon Bible Study with speaker, leader, and acclaimed Bible teacher, Mary Shannon. Every week, she'll dive deep into scripture using her unique blend of laugh-out-loud humor and hitting-you-between-the-eyes truth that we all need. So put on your big girl pants, because here we go. All right, so last week, we literally got through uh, chapter 1, verses, I think, 1 through 18. And so we're still not going to finish chapter one today. Aren't you so excited? Uh, We're starting in verse 19, so let's just dig in. And this is the testimony of John. Now, which John? We better know that. John is the author of the book, but this John, the author, is telling us about a testimony of another John, John the what? John the Baptist, okay? And this is the testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This is the very first time in this gospel that we see the term the Jews. All right, the Jews. This is the first time we see it, and it does not just denote the people as a whole, but it is denoting a certain group of people. All right, we also see it. A good example is in John 9, 22. Um, in John 9, you see the healing of the man born blind. And uh, the religious leaders are literally freaking out, how can this be? And they call in the man's parents uh, to receive a testimony. And this is from that story. In John 9, 22, it says, His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. All right? So obviously the man's parents were what? Jews. So when they are referring to the Jews, they're not talking about the people as a whole. What they're talking about is a certain group of people, those in power, the religious establishment, and those who have the power, honestly, for life for them because synagogue was life to them. And they had the power to remove them from the synagogue. So I want you to know who this is talking about. So right here, you have John the Baptist giving his testimony, and you have the Jews or the religious leaders, the establishment, and they come and they say to him, who are you? Wow, already we see this tribal mentality. Are you with me? This group of people who show up and they're like, we're here to find out who you are. Why? Because we're trying to determine, are you with us or are you against us have you ever experienced that man i have because if you're with us then we will listen to what you have to say but if you're not on our team we don't think anything you say has worth matter of fact all we care about are people who benefit us this whole tribal mentality man 
We see that today in our world a lot. People ask penetrating questions to find out which side you're on. They want to know which side you're on, which group to put you in, because if you're not in their group or you're of no benefit to them or you're not uh, progressing their, uh, I can't even think of the word because my brain's dead, agenda, then they don't want to have anything to do with you, right? We have this whole cancel culture. I can't stand it. Because in the middle of it, you can't even have a conversation with anybody because we come in with this tribal mentality, these defense mechanisms up, and I'm going to tell you, it's not good because nothing gets heard. Do you know that if I canceled, if we went back in our history and we literally canceled out the people who said stupid things or tried to discover or create stupid things or weren't on our team, are you kidding me? Where would we be today? Most of the people who invented things or discovered things did a lot of stupid things before whatever they discovered. We can have a conversation with people not on our team. We just have to uh, come in and learn to listen and not be threatened. And here you have them show up. They have an agenda The minute they walked up, they had an agenda. They were on their team. They wanted to maintain their power, and they walked up, and their question is, okay, we're here to find out. They didn't care about his message right now. Who are you? That's what they said. Well, he knows what they're thinking, right? By the way, there is no care for the people right here. They walk up to what's going on. They don't care what's happening with the people. They want to know who John is. That's it. We're going to see this theme a little bit today about how sometimes when we come into power and there is corruption, there is little little care for the people. There's a lot of care for power. And so John begins by telling them who he isn't. Right? And the first thing he says is, I am not the Christ. I think that's funny because if you look in those verses, do they ever ask him if he's the Christ? No. By the way, I see your faces. You can shake no and you can shake yes. I mean, do, are you seeing where I am? First John, you're like, my, when I'm back in the classroom, nobody would answer me, right? So no, they don't ask him if he's the Christ, but that's the first thing he gets out of the way because he knows what they're looking for. They have come out because people are gathering and they're wondering, oh my word, is this another Messiah sighting? And they're checking it out. So he throws that out and he says, no, I'm not the Christ. So then they start to ask him and they start with, well, if you're not the Christ then, are you Elijah? Well, why would they ask that? Well, if he's not the Messiah, maybe he's a prophet. And matter of fact, he looks a whole lot like one of the prophets we should be watching for. Let me show you. Mark 1.6 describes John. And it says this. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Hmm. 2 Kings 1.8 describes another prophet. See if it sounds familiar. They answered him. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist 
And he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. So who does John the Baptist even look like? Elijah. So here you have this man coming out of the wilderness uh, as a prophet, and he's dressed similar to what was described of Elijah in the Old Testament. Not only that, not only does he look like him, but his message is very similar to Elijah's because the message is basically repent and prepare for judgment. Repent and prepare. So he sounds like a prophet and he looks like a prophet that they actually care to see. Because listen to this. Why would they even bring up Elijah? Malachi 3.1 and 4.5. What book of the Bible is Malachi? I can't hear you. The last book of the Old Testament, right? And after the Old Testament, how many years of silence were there? 400. So I'm going to tell you what, when you've not been talked to for 400 years, you really pay attention to the last thing that was said. And here are the last things that were said. This is what you need to be watching for. They know a Redeemer is coming, right? But in, in the last book of the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. In 4-5, at the very end, listen to how they describe it. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Makes sense why they said, are you Elijah? He sounds like a prophet and he looks like the prophet, not any prophet, but the prophet Elijah. And they're looking for him because they have been told that Elijah will come before the great day of the Lord. That before the anointed one comes, there will be Elijah. So it makes absolute sense. Even today, the Passover meal, the Jewish people set a, a place setting for who? Elijah, the one who is to come. So it makes total sense. But what does John answer? No, I'm not Elijah. He's like, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the one that has returned from the whirlwind that took me up. It's interesting because later, and we're going to see in this lesson later, John, Jesus is actually going to say about John that he was the spirit of Elijah. All right? But as far as John is concerned, John's like, what? No, I'm not Elijah. I'm John. I'm just John. I'm just John the Baptist, right? So then they move on. And they're like, okay, well, if you're not Elijah, then you must be the prophet. Now look at your scripture. Look at the verses that we talked about. Are you the prophet? Is that word prophet capitalized? Yes, it is. Don't you find that interesting? Well, it's capitalized because they're talking about a certain prophet. Okay, well, what prophet would that be? Well, if you look at Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, okay, and maybe in your Bible, listen, my Jewish friends would have a heart attack if I told you to write in your Bible. Write in your Bible. All right, so if I tell you a reference, put it by the word prophet later, unless you're just an amazing note taker, 
My mom can't take notes. But she just put right next to that in John where it says the prophet put Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. So later on, you can go back and you see there's a connection here. Okay, this is what it said. Wait a minute, Deuteronomy, what's that book about? You're like, I hate it when she asks me questions. Deuteronomy, right, is the, basically the second law. It does not mean it's a new law. It means it's the second time it was told, all right? Why did all of the law have to be spoken again to the people? Because the old generation that received it, what happened to them? They died out in the wilderness, okay, because of their unfaithfulness, and a new generation rose up. So Deuteronomy is where Moses leads them once again to the edge of the promised land and he goes through it again because God is a gentleman. He doesn't force anyone to have a relationship with him. And Moses is basically saying, here's what was given. Basically, will you marry me? Will you accept? And they say yes. And so he's giving them all the instructions they need to go in to take the land. And this is part of what he told them. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen to, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest we die. You remember that? They said, listen, God, this whole shaking Mount Sinai thing and the whole smoke coming down and scaring the bejeebers out of us. So we have an idea. Could you just speak to Moses and then Moses can come speak to us? We can't handle this. So he's reminding them of that. He's like, just like that. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So they've been watching for two people before the Messiah. One is Elijah and one is this prophet, whoever this prophet is. And so they come out and they realize he's acting like a prophet. If he's not the Christ, he must be a prophet. So we need to know, are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? And what did he say? No. So then they say, then what do you have to say for yourself? And he says, not much. That's not the point. You're missing the point. My job is to point to someone else. It's not about me. I could sit here. I could preach a whole message on that right now. Do you understand? That is our point. That is our point. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about who I point to. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if for any reason you think you are impressed by me or you want to worship me, don't do it. That is a sad thing. Don't do it. And don't put me on a pedestal. It's not fun being up there. And the higher you put me, the farther I will fall because I'm just human. It is our job to point. And how do we do it? Well, I point through my words, but we point through how, how we live. And I'm not talking about just behaviors. Don't get legalistic with me. I'm talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what we do. 
We are here to point the way. For goodness sake, if not, take me home, Jesus. Because everything else would be better to be with him. If life was about praising him, I'll praise him better with him. If life is about knowing, I will know all when I get with him. If life is about whatever, I am here. I am left here. Why? As a witness to point. It's not about me. Don't make it about you. It's about him. And that is what John the Baptist was saying. It's not about me. It's about him. I am merely a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, anytime, basically he said, I'm doing what Isaiah said. Do you remember Isaiah? Anytime you hear a quote from the Old Testament in the New, go back and see the context of what they're talking about. It will matter. All right? How do you know that is from Isaiah, Shannon? Your Bibles, I hope you have Bibles that have references. Okay? If you did, when you read, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness... There is a little letter up above that. Do you see it? I want to show you how to study your Bible. Do you see a little tiny letter in your Bible? If not, get a new Bible. All right? Now, for me, I have to wear two pairs of glasses to see that little letter. But when you go down, that is going to send you to Isaiah 40. And that is telling you that John the Baptist is quoting Isaiah 40. Let me tell you what, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. And this is what he's quoting. The title of Isaiah 40, all right, over that chapter is this. It might be from the message, but yours will be similar. It's the message of comfort. Okay, that's the title there, the message of comfort. But before I read you 40, I want to read you 39 because if Isaiah is preaching a message of comfort in 40, what the heck did he say in 39? All right, so listen to this. Isaiah 39, starting in verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hezekiah was the king of Judah. Do y'all like it when I back up and tell you what the heck's going on? Or is it too much information? Okay, Hezekiah is the king of Judah. You're like, well, I don't care. Well, you need to care. Because at one point, do you remember the kingdom was divided? Okay, the north kingdom, do you remember this? North, south, Israel, Judah, I taught some of you that. Okay, the, the, uh, the ten tribes of Israel had already been scattered at this point. All right, the Assyrians had already come in and annihilated them and scattered them. Hezekiah is the king over Judah, which is the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, the ones that are still in the land, okay? And so Isaiah has come to Hezekiah with this prophecy, and this is what he says. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Anytime you see that, Lord of hosts, you should remember what I taught you about that. The Lord of the angel armies, the Lord who needs nothing, the Lord who opened his mouth and light came out going 180,000 miles per second. This, the Lord of hosts, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Listen to this. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. 
Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. What? For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Are you stinking kidding me? Once more, we have someone that has come into power and all they stinking care about is what? Keeping the power. And all they care about is what is good in their lifetime. Are you, there's nothing new under the sun. I could sit here and preach about this. You were just told that your sons coming from yourself are going to endure all kinds of hardships. And you think that word is good and you're not concerned because guess what? Doesn't affect me in my lifetime. Is that what it's come to? Good question. But at this point, Israel has already been scattered. And now Isaiah is saying to Hezekiah, Judah is about to be taken into exile in Babylon. And at that point, there will be nothing left. After that, we have 40. Chapter 40. Listen to what it says. Comfort for God's people. I'm reading it in the message. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. After he tells Hezekiah, listen, it's gonna get bad. After your lifetime, yes, there will be nothing left. But then comes this message of comfort which is really interesting to me because I'm going to tell you their problems did not end with the Babylonian exile, if you know history, right? Assyria was the first one, and they came in and scattered all of Israel. Then Babylon came in and took Judah into exile, but it didn't end there. Then the Persians conquered the Babylonians, and they were under the oppression of the Persians. We had a glimpse of hope when the Persians let Israel come back. Remember all that? And they began to rebuild their homes and the temple and the walls. But then the Greeks came in. And then the Greeks tried to Hellenize the whole place. And then you have one of the greatest atrocities known is when Antiochus Epiphanes comes in and literally defiles the temple. They have a great revolt. The, uh, Judas Maccabeus brings about the Maccabean uh, revolution. And then after that, they kind of lean on Rome thinking maybe Rome will help them with the Greeks. And at the end of the day, guess who ended up on top? Rome. And they were under the oppression of the Romans. And so you're thinking, wait a minute. Where is this comfort that is promised? But now you have this man who looks like a prophet, who's dressed like Elijah, and he steps forth. And he speaks from chapter 40. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. John is saying, listen, don't get sidetracked about who I am. That's irrelevant. 
What's relevant is my message. Comfort is coming, but they don't hear it. I want you to notice something. John never answers anything about himself. Look in those verses. He never answers about himself. Why? Because he came to bear witness about Jesus. But real quick, I'm going to take you on a little bird walk. Because I want you to see that although he came to bear witness about Jesus, Jesus also bore witness about John the Baptist. So don't think, um, John the Baptist himself, he thought, I don't matter, my message matters. But I want you to understand John the Baptist mattered. And although he bore witness to Jesus, Jesus bore witness to him. So go to Matthew chapter 11. Now let me set up this. Because we're about to find out that in the future, John the Baptist is going to be thrown in the slammer. Okay, why? Well, (laughs) because John was a prophet, which meant he spoke the truth. All right? And the problem was that Herod, Herod Antipas of Galilee, before this, had gone to visit his brother in Rome. And his brother had a hot wife. And so Herod, who was not used to being told no, seduces her. And decides, yeah, I really like her. He comes home, he divorces his own wife or sets her aside and literally marries his sister-in-law, all right? John was, he criticized that and not only did he criticize it, he criticized it publicly. He spoke out against this wrongdoing and he paid the price because he got thrown in a dungeon in the slammer in a fortress near the Dead Sea. And if you've ever been in the Dead Sea, that is the wilderness area. I would not want to be in a dungeon near the Dead Sea. And this is where he's ended up. So this is what's happening. Um, This is where he is in Matthew chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples... He went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Say what? This is the same John the Baptist that we're going to see in just a little bit is the one who is pointing out the Christ. And when he points him out, he not only says, yes, this is the Christ. He says, yes, this is the Lamb of God, right? But now, later on, he's in a dungeon and he sends word uh, with some people, some messengers to say, are you really the Christ? Why is he questioning? Because he's suffering. Because his circumstances are causing him to question God. Can you relate to that? Listen, if we're all honest, there are times we question God. And it's okay. He's a big boy. And actually, he wants our questions. Because that means we're wrestling. We're not putting our head in the sand we want our faith to fit our practical life. And sometimes the, our circumstances, we can't see how it goes together. And so we stay in the middle of it and we wrestle it. And that is what John the Baptist is doing. Even the most faithful people question when we can't see what God is doing. Well, here's Jesus' message to John 
through the messengers. He says this, and Jesus answered them, you go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. He said, you go tell John. He can't see it right now, but you go tell him. Go tell him what is happening. Isn't that what we need to see when we question? We need to see what God is doing, even if it's the smallest thing. I remember um, uh, after Zach's celebration of life, one of my friends brought me a gift and she called it the Ebenezer. And you know, the Ebenezer stone is a stone of remembrance that you put down. And it was, it was the most interesting gift as I'm opening it up. Honestly, I couldn't figure out what the heck it was when I first opened it up. And you know, and she basically put it together. You could put it together however you want, be creative. But she did this um, like rustic wood bowl. And then she had this like hurricane lantern, glass lantern in the middle of it and these black stones around it. And she says, I know right now you can't see God, but he's there. And so you will see, I'm praying that God will give you eyes to see just the little things, the little message he gives you, the little piece of hope. When someone calls you at just the right time or texts you at just the right time, or you see something that reminds you of Zach or some, whatever it is, when he speaks, even the, most, the smallest thing, I want you to take one of these black rocks and I want you to put it in the hurricane. Because it won't seem like a big deal. But as you go over time, he's still there. He's still speaking. You're just so dark you can't see it. But you'll look back and you'll see all that he has done. And to be honest, I was like, okay, I don't see it. But you do look back and it's this little moment and it's this. And now these are big things. The point is, he couldn't see. And Jesus was saying, listen, it is happening. It is moving forward. You go back and you encourage him. And then he says the, the weirdest thing. Look at verse 6 of Matthew 11. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Okay. But you remember those little letters right up above? Your references? You ought to use them. Because right there, that comes directly out of the book of, do you want to guess? Isaiah. The same book that John the Baptist himself quotes, Jesus is quoting it back. And what did I tell you? If it's there, go back and look at the context of what that says, because it's going to apply. This phrase is in Isaiah 8. It is within verses 11 through 17. The title of Isaiah 8, 11 through 17, that section in your Bible, is Fear God, Wait on the Lord. Fear God, Wait on the Lord. And here's what it says. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. 
But the Lord of hosts, there's that powerful name. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. But bind up the testimony. Seal the teachings among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from Jacob. And I will hope in him. Can I just tell you how that applies to our life? Conspiracy. This is what it means. Hoff power version. Don't buy what they're selling. Don't make a conspiracy out of everything they think is conspiracy. Don't buy what they're selling. Don't believe the narratives. Don't fear. John, I know nothing looks as it should right now. Darkness seems to be the victor. I mean, think about what he's experiencing. He's in a dark dungeon. Of course he's sitting in darkness. The comfort of Isaiah 40 seems but a dream, I know. But trust me, I am at work. I am always working. I am moving the pieces. And I am moving in people's lives. Even though my face has been hidden, you don't know what I'm up to. Trust me, I'm up to. That relates to us. Some of us have been in a deep, dark dungeon of COVID in our home, secluded. There are all kinds of narratives coming at us of fear. Listen, don't buy what they're selling. God is in charge. He is the one to be feared. I'm not telling you to not have any sense. But don't let that fear completely overcome you. And don't let this election scare the bejeebers out of you to where that's all you ever talk about and you're walking and trembling because God is in control. And he will be a stumbling block to both houses if they don't serve him. But he is our rock. He is our testimony. We fear in the Lord. That's who we fear in. And it has peace. And this is the message he gives John the Baptist. Even John the Baptist. John, wait on the Lord. Even when you don't see what I'm doing, trust who I am. Now that was, that was Jesus' message to John. Now I want to, you to hear Jesus' message about John. Okay? He is questioned. He turns to the messengers and he gives a message to John. Now, he is about to give a message to the audience who has heard the whole thing about John. Okay, and this is what he says. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. 
I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is whom that has been written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Guess what that quote was from? He is saying, you've been waiting on the Elijah, he's here. I love how the message says, basically says, what'd you go out to see? When you went out to see him, did you go out to see a weekend camper? Did you go out to see a chic and silk pajamas? It says this, not by a long shot. What then, a prophet? That's right, a prophet. Probably the best prophet you'll ever hear. He is the prophet that Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending my prophet ahead of you to make the road smooth for you. Let me tell you what's going on here. No one in history surpasses John the baptizer, but in the kingdom he prepared for you, the lowest person is ahead of him. For a long time now, people have tried to force themselves into God's kingdom. But if you read the books of the prophets and God's law closely, you will see them culminate in John the Baptist, teaming up with him and preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Looked at in this way, John is the Elijah that you've all been expecting to arrive and introduce the Messiah. Are you listening? Are you really listening? Those are the words of Jesus. So John may not have seen himself as Elijah, but guess what? Jesus did. He was the spirit of Elijah. Yet even though Jesus declared John to be the greatest born of a woman, he said he was the least in the kingdom. The least in the kingdom would be greater than him. I love this quote. The least in the gospel stands on higher ground than the greatest under the law. The least in the gospel stands on higher ground than the greatest in the law. That is beautiful. These people, these Jews, this establishment come out to say, who are you? You the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. It's not about me. It's about my message. What's my message? I am the voice crying in the wilderness. Isaiah 40. Comfort is coming. I am pointing you the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you listening to my message? And although John the Baptist would not boast of who he was, Jesus stood up for him, did he not? Well, back to our original chapter of John. Now they, in verse 24, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered them, <clears throat> I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So now the delegation drops the uh, who are you's and they move on to the why are you's. What gives you the right to baptize? If you're not any of these prophets, if you're not the Messiah and you're not Elijah and you're not the prophet, what gives you the right? Listen, 
ceremonial washings were always a part of the Jewish religion. But what you need to understand is that they were self-administered, okay? So when they came in for their washings into the mikvahs, they would walk down the steps and they would basically dunk themselves. And to be quite honest, they wouldn't hold their nose like some of us do and all that because they wanted the water to go everywhere, over their head, total immersion, even in their nostrils if need be, because it was washings. But they were self-administered. But here, this seems so different. Because here, John the Baptist was actually administering these washings. That was way more similar to um, the baptisms of the proselytes or the Jewish converts. Because in that situation, when a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, there would be three elements usually. There'd be a sacrifice, obviously. There'd be circumcision. The pulling back of the flesh. And then there would be cleansings. A cleansing as a convert. So here you have this delegation that is coming and they're seeing this and they're basically shocked at what's happening because what it seems to be saying is that the Jews are no different in this situation than the Gentiles. They're saying, wait a minute, we're already in the kingdom. We're Jews. We're God's chosen people. This is making us seem that we're the same as everybody. Uh, Yeah. And so this is the problem. So once again, John does not engage about himself. He doesn't tell them why he has the right to do it. He doesn't answer the question. He points to Jesus. That's what he does. And he says this, I baptize with water. All this is is preparation. All this is is a picture of willingness. All this is basically is the circumcision of the heart. The pulling back of the heart of stone, trying to reveal a heart of flesh. It's just preparing them. It is just a cleansing. But the sacrifice? (laughs) There is one in your midst that you do not know. And matter of fact, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. I love that. Because... On one hand, you have Jesus saying about John, he is the greatest man that has ever been born. And Jesus is saying, I mean, and John is saying, yeah, well, this greatest man that has ever been born is not even worthy to untie Jesus' sandal. And he's amongst you. That is the task of the lowest slave, by the way. When you would walk in, the lowest slave would come and untie your sandal. John the Baptist is saying, I do not even have the right to the most menial task. Stop wasting your time trying to figure out who I am because the I am is in your midst. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Oh, I love it. There is the purpose for his coming. In black and white. He doesn't talk about the king. He talks about the lamb. And he points to him and he says, the lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world, emphasizing the sacrifice. He was preparing the hearts. He was cleansing. 
but the sacrifice must come. I've taught you throughout the whole Old Testament over and over if you've ever been in my class. This was a concept that was at the very beginning. Jesus was the lamb slain before everything was created. When sin happened, you see the first death of the innocent substitute. They're clothed in skins. You see it reinforced with Cain and Abel when Cain tried to put all of his good works up there and it was not acceptable. And God said, Cain, you know what is right. If you do it, won't you be accepted? You come to me by the blood of sacrifice. We see it all through the Old Testament where all of a sudden Abraham offered Isaac the one that through Isaac, the nation would come and through that nation, the Messiah would come. And he offers Isaac and instead, God brings what? A lamb in his place, one per person. You see the Passover, the freeing of God's people. And the Passover, there was one lamb per family. And on the day of atonement, they would offer one lamb for the nation of Israel. And now John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah comes and says what? Here he is. Comfort? Oh yeah, it's coming. Here comes the one lamb for the world. And he points him out. The Messiah was coming to usher in his kingdom. But first, in order to establish the kingdom, he must defeat the enemy of sin. Do you understand that? If he didn't defeat sin, we wouldn't even be in his kingdom. He had to come as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to demolish sin so we could gain entrance into the kingdom. Without that, we could not be citizens. So, John finishes his witness with this, the message version. This is the man I've been talking about. The one who comes after me but is really ahead of me. I knew nothing about who he was, only this, that my task has been to get Israel ready to recognize him as the God revealer. This is why I came here baptizing with water, giving you a good bath and scrubbing sins from your life so that you get a fresh start with God. John clenched his witness with this. Okay, so this is going to be big. This is the last thing he said. I watched the Spirit like a dove flying down out of the sky, making himself at home in him. I repeat, I know nothing about him except this. Okay? Now, it was his cousin, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about knowing who he belonged to or actually recognizing who he was. He's like, I didn't know who he really was until this. The one who authorized me to baptize with water told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and stay, this one will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what I saw happen. And I'm telling you, there is no question about it. He is the Son of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Listen, don't, don't trust me. I had no idea who he was, really. But this is what I'm telling you, that the one who has been leading me all along, who urged me to come out here to do this, he literally said to me, the one in which you see, and this happened in Jesus' baptism, remember, the one in which you see the Spirit of God coming down as a dove, setting on him, 
And remember, the voice of, the, of God spoke out, this is my son. In him, I'm satisfied. He will bring satisfaction for it all. And he said, I saw it. So I'm telling you, he is the son of God. So in one chapter, we're not even finished, you have John the author saying, listen, he was with God, he was God, he is the lifelight blazing out of the darkness. All things were created by him and held together. And listen, don't just take my word, listen to John the Baptist. He was absolutely convinced that Jesus is God. We have John the author's testimony, we have the father's testimony that said, this is my son, in him I'm satisfied. And we have John the Baptist's testimony. Literally in around 30 verses, we have repeated over and over and over again, Jesus is what? He's God. That's who he is. Once again, I have written these things. Let's say it together because maybe if we say it over and over and over, you'll memorize it. <clears throat> these things are written. Are y'all going to say it with me? Ready? Do I have to count? One, two, three. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Does that mean just eternal life? No. It means the moment you put your faith in Christ, you have life. I got to thinking about this. What are the four things of life? Light, breath, water, <clears throat> bread, food, light. We get direction. If we don't know him, we're running around like blind people, leading the blind. Busy, 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 but going nowhere. Breath, peace. What do you see in this world right now? Anxiety like you've never seen it before. Water, all through the Bible, water symbolizes the joy bubbling up inside of us. Joy, joy, joy. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Woo, whatever happened to that? Right now, what do we see? A depression, heavy, setting in. Bread, he's our sustenance, he's our contentment. And yet, you see so much emptiness. It's not, we don't just know him and believe in him for an eternal life. We believe in him for this life. And I got to thinking finally about the chapter titles of Lose Control, The Way to Find Your Soul. Because the bottom line, why do we need to know that he is God? Because we need to be reminded that we're not. He's God. We are not. Here are the titles to Lose Control. Week one. I believe God is in control, giving lip service without heart, without heart, con I can't speak, giving lip service without heart commitment. Week two, I've got this under control, maintaining the facade. Week three, oh no, now I'm losing control, recognizing our helplessness. This is like my testimony right here. Week four, crud, I'm completely out of control. Admitting our need. Week five, control over what? Acknowledging that we can't control anything but ourselves. Week six, God really is in control. Coming full circle to true belief and surrender. 
One thing I want you to notice, at the beginning it was like, God is in control. That's head knowledge. I knew that a long time. I believed it. I knew it. But by chapter 6, what does it say? No, God is really in control. That's experience. And you know how I got from head knowledge to experience? It wasn't comfort. It was suffering. Sometimes we are forced to recognize God is God and I am not. It is, uh, it is a necessity of life. So as we leave today, I want you to really ponder the fact of what parts of your life are you trying to be God of? What is it that you're trying to control? You're not God. He is God. He will give you light. He will give you direction. He will give you peace, even in the midst of a storm. He will give you joy when you're the most depressed human being on the planet. When you ought to be the saddest, he'll give you a little moment of bubble. And you know what's weird? I find myself sabotaging that, just in case. Like on the way here, I was listening to worship, and I literally felt the joy of the Lord, but then I keep saying, no, Shannon, you're grieving your life. It's like I remind myself that I need to be sad. Instead of enjoying the moment that he gave me, the bubble, enjoy it. Enjoy the bubbling. <clears throat> and lastly, right, sustenance. He is my contentment. Is he yours? <clears throat> he is God, you are not. This is the message of John. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you have reminded us today. You are God. You are the Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts that came down and put on flesh and dwelt among us. You were with God. You are God. All things were made through you. Yet being God was not something you felt needed to be grasped. Instead, you put on flesh and you became the Lamb of God who died for the sins of the world. You ushered in your kingdom by giving yourself on a cross so that by believing in you, we would have life in your name and we could become the citizens of this kingdom. We are not going to buy what they're selling. We are not going to live in fear because of what we see. We are going to believe in the testimony and we are going to stand in the faith that you are God and you are always at work and you are good. And God, I pray that this peace and this joy and this trust will exude out of us for the world to see. Let us be kind to those that aren't in our camp. Let us show love. Let us be willing to have conversations, to hear so that we can be heard. But God, at the end of the day, I trust in you. I trust in you and not man. And so, Lord, we lift you up in this season. You are God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Mary Shannon Bible Study. Be sure to subscribe. Shannon also hosts the hilarious and heartfelt Mary Shannon's Table podcast, where along with friends, they chat about life, faith, and leadership. Check out the show now and subscribe. If you want to connect with Mary Shannon, go to Instagram at It's Mary Shannon or visit itsmaryshannon.com.